Good morning. I'd like to thank you for joining with me over the internet during this difficult time. I continue to pray that you will experience the peace of God as we experience this unprecedented uh, event that's going through our country at the moment. I will remind you that if you have any prayer requests, you can go on our home page, hit prayer request, and that will come directly to me via email. Also, you can give online. If you go back to our website in the menu bar and hit give, you can give online, you can give by texting, and of course, you can also give by mail. We appreciate that during this difficult time. I like to begin this morning with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this technology that allows us to take place, that gives us the ability to meet, maybe not physically, but dear God, still spiritually as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray for all those who are watching that they will feel your presence. They will feel your love and peace wrap around them. Reach out and pull them close to your side. Let them know, dear God, that they are never alone. For you have promised not to leave us or forsake us. We lift all these things up in the most precious name of your only Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, restoring the temple. I like to begin by reading the text. Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josiak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work and appoint the Levites from 20 years and older to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Josua, with sons and brothers, stood united with Ishmael and his sons, the sons of Judah, the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and brothers, the Levites, to oversee the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Esbab, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the sound of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. The people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. As a way of introduction, I came across an article entitled 52% Describe Problem of Crime in the United States as Serious. It was written by Justin McCarthy. It was published in Gallup on November the 13th, 2019. It said, quote, perceptions of U.S. crimes are frequently different from the reality of how much crime is actually occurring. This is not to say that Americans' perceptions are entirely removed from reality. U.S. crime indeed decreased after the early 1990s, and Americans responded by becoming less likely in the decade that followed to say that crime was going up. This was short-lived, however, 
as their perceptions of increased crime regrounded even as federal crime statistics continue to go down. Regardless of how far from your alley they are, perceptions of crime matter as they can impact American sense of safety and their confidence in law enforcement. Put this to application, if you knew that a murder was loose in your community, how confident are you are in police, and law enforcement, to take care of the problem? In other words, I'm asking you, what would you do? Would you buy a gun? Would you read your Bible? Or would you pray? And I think of where we're at today, this virus and all the panic that it has generated throughout our society. Uh, what is your first response? Is your first response to go go to Walmart and all the grocery stores and discard everything you possibly can? Are we freaking out about our jobs and economy, or are we turning the very first place we should always turn to, and that's the Lord God Almighty? And we saw in our text, as we continue the story through Ezra, that the first thing they did when they went back to the land was build the temple. Even before they built the city wall. And you may ask yourself, why did they do that? Well, the temple was used for spiritual purposes. The wall was used for military and political purposes. The Jews knew that the strongest stone wall would not protect them if God himself was not with them. They knew that putting their spiritual lives in order was far higher priority than ensuring the national defense. God has always been and always be the nation's defender, Israel's defender. And I can't help but think once again of where we're at. Where are we putting our faith and our confidence in? Our confidence should always be in God. He will defend us. He will take care of us. He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. In fact, look at the book of Psalms. He has named all the stars. He calls them out by name. And that's the very one who has promised to you and to me that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's kind of interesting to me as we look across where we're at in this moment. Everything that we tend to put confidence in as human beings has really been stripped away. We're going to isolation. We can't have family and friends. We're worried about the economy. Maybe we're worried about our jobs and what's coming in the future. And I would encourage you this morning, instead of looking all around you, horizontally, if you will, is to look up to God and put trust in him. Our text tells us the second year they're coming to the house of God in the second month. And that's very important because historically speaking, that's the same month that Solomon also began building the first temple. You can see that in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. That's a month after Passover, roughly about April and May for us. It began the dry season, and that's a great good time for them to start building. However, even during this time, little was even done, just the foundation. It wasn't until the time of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah that more took place, more building took place. You can see that in Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Remember from last week that all Israel had met in Jerusalem. They met there to rebuild the altar and reestablish the sacrifices and the feasts. They also ordered materials for the temple, Ezra chapter 3, verse 7. It is now seven months later, the same month that Solomon began to build the first temple. We see that Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of their brothers and the priests and the Levites. Zerubbabel was the appointed governor 
And Joshua, the high priest, their brothers and sisters were put, I mean, excuse me, their brothers, the priests and the Levites was the supervision. And of course, you have all who came from the captivity of Jerusalem. So you had some supervision being put in place. And you have the rest of the people who would help. I can't help but think about the laity. We have, we have myself. We have Rashonda, who's our youth minister. We have Charlie, our music minister. We have all these Sunday school teachers. We also have the church membership. And just like back then, the leadership by itself could not rebuild the temple. We cannot continue to do the work here without the laity, without you. See, our job, or my job as a pastor, is to equip you for the works of service, of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. My job is to help equip you. Isn't it interesting right now? That for such a long time, church in America has always been identified with a building. I go to church. I sing at church. I clean the church. All these things that we talk about going to church, rather than realizing that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are the church. The Holy Spirit now resides in me, in my heart. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit now resides in your heart as well. Perhaps God is driving us out of our four walls of comfort and safety out to the people because time is growing short and more people need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's too late. Perhaps that's what God is doing. So instead of looking and seeing what we can't do as a church, look what we can do as a church. We still have this technology. We are connected through this technology, through cell phones and through texting through this live feed that we have going on Facebook now, there's still people out there. There's still ministry to be done. Instead of looking at what we can't do, let's think outside the box, see what we can do in order to build the kingdom of God. So they appointed the Levites from 20 years and older to oversee the work. So you have this whole thing coming together. It's, it's great to see the leadership. They appoint and delegate the people the work to be done, and now the work is done and we find out the foundation gets laid. And the point I'm making here, it takes the leadership to cast the vision and to delegate the work on to other people to do the work. So you can hear at church, as a pastor, my job is to help you to do the work, cast the vision, and give you the, the tools that you need to do the work. A church was never intended to be built upon what a pastor does or does not do, or a youth minister, or a music minister. It takes all of us with the different gifts and abilities God's given us to build his kingdom. Look what it says in the text. It says that all these groups, you see it in verse 9, all these groups are now united with each other. That emphasizes the cooperation and enthusiasm for the work. The leaders knew how to make decisions, but they also delegated authority to other people. And like I said earlier, this resulted in the work being done in an orderly and efficient manner. Now we turn our attention back to the text. It says, now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. It's great when you know, a project gets finished. Perhaps you've done home projects, home improvement projects. When you mow the lawn, you set a task out and you get it done. There's a sense of satisfaction that you feel when you get it done. He goes, yes, look what's happened. Look what's taking place. 
As I see this, when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, notice it doesn't say the leadership. It doesn't just mention one person. The builders, who are the builders? The text before that, all these people, the priests, and all the leadership, and the people doing the work together. By the way, the leadership didn't sit back and tell them what to do. The leadership got involved in the work and came alongside of them. If God depended on the want to do it, or the hope to do it, or I'm going to do it, nothing would ever get done. It reminds me of Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62, talking about discipleship. People say, Lord, I want to follow you. I, I need to bury my dad. He has passed. No, let the dead bury it. So look what he says in verse 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is stood for the kingdom of God. doesn't mean we should not take care of people around us. What that does mean is that we should say so focused on God and we set out to do a task for God, nothing distracts our attention. We're not looking back. Think about it. If you're plowing, of course, back then you'd have a mule attached to the plow. If I'm constantly looking back, even the tiller, if I'm tilling along like this and I'm constantly looking back, what's going to happen? I'm going to get off course. My lines will be all zigzaggy. I won't get the, done, get the work done efficiently and the way it should be. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. Once you start, keep focused on it. Don't let anything else distract your attention. Look what it says next. The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, Levites with cymbals. They had their official garments on. They had trumpets and they had cymbals. What are they going to do? Look at the text. To praise the Lord. Unrestrained praise of the Lord begins. And it says it was done according to the directions of King David of Israel. They were ready to get their praise on. They had trumpets. They had cymbals. There they are. If you look back in Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 10 and 11, Jeremiah prophesies about this place at this point in time that this would happen. Let's read that. Jeremiah 33, verse 10 and following. Thus says the Lord, yet again there will be heard in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man and without beast. That is, in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and of those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were first, says the Lord. Jeremiah prophesied after the exile, this praise, this place of desolate, would hear the sound of praise to God. It tells us in the text, they sang, praising and giving thanks to God. If you look at Psalm 136, that's what they're telling you, for the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. I, I can imagine that was... Uh, a song of response that one group would say, give thanks to the Lord. And the other group would say, for his loving kindness is everlasting upon Israel. Maybe we should do more of that as we gather together. That time does come when we can gather back together. Even now, we can do it now. I can tell you, for the Lord, give thanks for the Lord, for he is good. And you say in your living room, wherever you're watching this right now, for his loving kindness is everlasting. In spite of what we see happening around us, we can always say, for the Lord Praise the Lord for he is good. And you can respond by saying, for his loving kindness is everlasting. This completion 
For the foundation of the temple was not easy. It required a lot of work, but yet we don't see anybody standing up saying, look what I did. They're all praising God for what has happened. He is the giver of all gift gifts. He gives talents, abilities, and strength. And we should thank God for what he has done and what he will do through us. Even in this time, give thanks to God for his loving kindness is everlasting. That speaks volumes today. Can you say that with me? Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Even if I don't know what's going on, this, this, this virus and all the stuff going on around us, it's affecting all of us. And in spite of all that, can we also say, praise the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. Look what the text says next. All the people shouted. With a great shout when they praise the Lord. Notice the balance you have singing breaking out. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And then you had this shouting happen. There's nothing wrong with an amen or hallelujah or praise the Lord. Psalm 32 verse 11. Be glad, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all who are upright in heart. Their shouts of joy were fitting because of this historic moment. They were seeing the restored temple, this promise to restore everything. They saw it happening before their eyes, becoming a reality. And notice their hearts are full of praise and thanksgiving to God, even before the temple was even finished. This is just the foundation. See, true faith praises God, even when you don't see the whole thing finished or materialized. We can give thanks to God today. Because he's going to see this whole thing through. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. This this virus has not caught him off guard. He's not worried about it. He has it all planned out. And so because he, we know he's going to take care of us, he'll never leave us, nor forsake us, see us through this valley together, walk with us through this valley, not take us out, but walk through it with us. We can still... Thank you and praise him for what he has done in the past, what is happening here in the present, and what will happen in the future. Like I've said many times, to know where you're at, you have to look back to where you've been. And when you look back to where you've been, we can all see where God has brought us through some dark times. And I can reassure myself of that in the circumstances in now, and I can face the future. With confidence, knowing it. As I look back and where I'm at, hey God, you've done all this. He will see me through the future. Now we have a contrast happening in the text. Yet many of the priests, the Levites, the head of the father's household, what do they do? They wept. Now because this foundation of the second temple was built on the same location as Solomon's when he built the first temple, it wasn't too much difference in size. But the old temple was far more elaborate and ordinate. It was surrounded by many buildings and had a vast courtyard. The both of temples were constructed of imported cedar wood. The first temple was decorated with vast amounts of gold and precious stones. Solomon's when he built that temple, took seven years. The second temple will take only four. The point I'm making back in 
King David and then his son Solomon's time. They had their riches. They had the money and the resources. This first temple was glorious. It was beautiful house of worship. And now some of them looked at it, possibly saw, oh my goodness, I see it going up, but it's not as nearly as elaborate and beautiful as the old temple. What you see happening here is people who remember the first temple, these older men have lived through the old time, that are about 60 year old, and remember the good times, and we do the same thing. We have a tendency to look back and think of the good old days, rather than look what's going on before us. Some of you remember prayer in Bible reading that actually took place in our public schools. But I want to encourage you, instead of looking back and reflecting how good the old days were, look at what God has restored and moved forward. In other words, in the context of our story, some of them were looking back and going, oh, this is not as great as the old temple was, it's not going to be as good, and they started weeping, and they went really loud. Rather than looking at, look, we're in exile for seven years. God has brought us out and prophesied. And guess what? Now we're building the temple. He is carrying out what he said he would do. And I'm going to encourage you this morning. And I've said this so many times. It, it bears repeating again. We have the promise of God. And he holds us in our hand, in his hands. And nothing can snatch us out. Dearly beloved, in this life and the life to come, God has us covered. I'm not saying throw all the cautions in the wind. We should be wise. God's gave a common sense. And like right now, I read many posts about why our church is sitting down. We should, we should uh, believe God and have confidence in God, which we do. But God also gave us common sense. It's like the story you've heard a thousand times. There was a flood coming and a car came by and said, hey, I can be right out of here. The guy said, no, I'm okay. And their water started to rise, and a boat came by. He goes, hey, I'll get you out of here. And the guy said, hey, I'm okay. The waters kept rising. The guy had to get on top of his roof. And a helicopter came by. Hey, I'll get you out of here. No, God will save me. Well, the guy drowns. He goes to heaven. He goes, God, why didn't you save me? God says, hey, I sent a car and a boat and a helicopter. What's your problem? So we need to use our common sense God gave us is my point. And we don't throw all caution to the wind. But at the end of the day, Remember who's in charge. Then we have the people who are weeping, but many shouted for joy. One thing I want to point out to you is notice it doesn't say just the young people shouted for joy. It said many. And you look at the weeping part, it specifically says the old men possibly 60 years or older. But here, while many shouted for joy, it doesn't tell us age group. It says many. The same sight, the same memory, caused others to shout for joy. They were right to rejoice and hear me and hear me well. See, the important thing was not in the beauty of the temple or in the building. The beauty is one a heart redeemed by Jesus Christ sings with all his or her might and worships God. That's what matters. See, what matters is, it would be nice to see my brothers and sisters. Ministry, Christianity, is relational at its very core. But what makes it beautiful to God is that no matter where we're at, what we're doing is we're lifting up praises to God, that we can praise him through this time. And look what it says. 
it got so loud, this shouting and weeping, that they could not distinguish, the people could not distinguish the shout of joy from the sound of weeping. They couldn't distinguish one or the other. And it says the sound was heard far away. So this was loud. So people around the community, around Jews of Gentiles in the area, could hear this happening. They didn't know what was happening, but they knew something was happening. And so we can have that experience too. When we get in the presence of Almighty God and we start to worship Him, there are times I want to sing and shout and clap and say amen. But at the same time, I can also experience grief and pain as I think about how many times I have fell short and I've sinned against God. As, as, as God brings that sin forth, says to Him, we have to deal with this. See, worship is all that, experiencing at once. And I've shared with many of you that the first time I went to Promise Keepers, 20,000 men in Irving State, the old Irving State, they told down years ago. And I walked in, I saw that before my eyes. There's a guy who was raising his hands. He, man, he was shouting. There's another guy over here who was quietly doing. Another guy who was weeping. All around me, all these different forms of expressions of worship as the Spirit was moving upon them. We can experience the same thing. It's, a, it's important for us to gather together and have that one-on-one contact. But don't let what's happening today stand your way of praising God. As nice as this building is, as much as I wish I could see you out here in front of me, What's beautiful about the whole thing, what makes a smile to our God's face, what's beautiful to him is when the song of redeemed rises up and praises him, no matter what the circumstances are. So how do you go about restoring and reclaiming things that have been removed, which is the theme of this whole study as we move through the book of Ezra? You put worship first. And oh, the temple was not there yet. That did not hinder their worship back then. Think about it. Only the foundation was laid, and they're singing to God. What's our problem? Okay, yeah, we can't get in groups of ten or more. But look at the technology we have. You can go on YouTube, right now, and sign all sorts of praise songs. You got the Bible electronically. We have all these translations of this word. We have our families. What a great time to start family devotions. And for the men to become the spiritual leaders of the house once again in that Small, constrained space. Don't look at what can't be done. Think about what can be done in order to build up disciples of Christ. See, they needed to worship God for their own sake. And it was a witness to the people around them. It's an illustration of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It was a time for the Feast of Tabernacles, a joyful feast of thanksgiving. Times were tough, but the people obeyed the word and praised the Lord. Then it itself would be a testimony to the Gentiles around them. But it also did good for their own hearts as well, because it's always right to praise the Lord. We have a very important holiday coming up next month. 
And no matter what happens with this social distancing, you can't cancel Easter. That Jesus rose from the dead, that, that's a fact. And that is what we can all rejoice about. Even in our own circumstance, even though all this is going on, I have a relationship with God through Christ. And for all of you who are watching this morning, I want to ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you attend church or uh, you're on a road somewhere or you walk an aisle. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with the living God? We've all broken the law. Very simply, look at the Ten Commandments. Ever told a lie? I have. You ever taken God's name in vain? A very holy God that gave you life and turned into a filthy word? I've done that. Now remember, if you're honest with yourself, we're all just admitted we're liars. You ever stolen anything? Well, Tim, I'm not a thief. Have you taken anything without someone's permission, no matter how small it is? Ever committed murder? No, I've never done that, Tim. But Jesus said, if you look at someone with hatred in your heart, you've committed murder already. And the point I'm making to you is that none of us, none of us can keep the law. That's why Jesus had to die. See, if I stand before God without a relationship with Christ, and I know I'm broken the law, where will I go? Heaven or hell? I will go to hell because I've broken his laws. But because of Christ, and because I gave my life to Christ, put my faith in him, He's paid the price, and now because of him and his sacrifice and his blood washes my sins away, I can go to heaven. Not because anything I've done is all about what Jesus has done, and that's available to you too. If you are a Christian, for all my brothers and sisters of Forestburg Baptist Church out there, I want to encourage you, do not let this circumstance Pivot your praise to God. Look at the text. They went back to a land. And remember, that land was in ruins. And all they had built at that point is the foundation, and yet they still praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, we can't meet because of what's happening today. But we can praise God that we have his word. We can praise God because of his son, Jesus Christ, who's purchased salvation for us. We can praise God for all these technological tools that we have that we can communicate to each other. And we can praise God for simply of who he is. Still on his throne. Still in control. So please, don't stop praising God. It's because we don't meet on a Sunday. Together, pick up a hymn, look at the screen and sing the song. Your worship should be seven days, 24-7, because of who he is and what he has done and is doing and will do in the future. I thank you for tuning in. We'll continue this on a week-by-week basis. The next, the Sunday, next Sunday, we won't be meeting here. We'll be continuing live streaming. I would uh, encourage you to uh, look at our website, and I'll be putting out letters and information as well, as many announcements as I can. Once again, any prayer request, if you fill that out on online on our website, that only comes to me. But if you're out there, more importantly than all that, if you're out there and you, don't, you do not know if you have a relationship with Christ or not, 
Call me. Contact me. Contact your church. Contact someone who's a believer. Ask them about it. Do something about it. Don't sit there and let the social distancing say, well, I just can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. You pick up a phone, you can call. You can text. You can send an email. Don't let that stand in the way of your eternal destiny. Don't let that happen. See, I'm going in with this statement. It's not my own. I've heard it repeated so many times. I don't know who originally said it. See, the tragic thing right now is not the fact that churches had to close their doors because of 10 people or more. We can't meet in our building. We are the church. This is the building where we meet. But the most tragic thing of all is someone to die not knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is the true tragedy. We still have a mission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I pray God blesses upon you the rest of this week. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We could come together through this technology and the people out there who are listening. Father, I don't know who's out there, but you do. And I lift them up to you. Each individual, each family that's represented here, God, speak to them. Hold them close to your side. And now may God bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.